Good morning, everyone. And thanks so much, Rach, for stepping in at the last minute. And the worship was lovely, and it was um, yeah, just the right thing. I think it links very well to this, to this talk, so thanks very much. It's amazing how God works in a way. Um, it's wonderful to get an opportunity just to share today's message with you. And I really hope that this blesses you um, and inspires you to see how God's kingdom is alive and what God, the, God's Holy Spirit is doing in his church today. So we've just started Acts um, and looking through the book of Acts. And a couple of weeks ago, we did an introduction to Acts. And um, last week, we had Mark, who took us through chapter 1 of, of Acts. And I thought that that was really, really powerful. And what I hope to do today is just to focus in on one single verse and to look at what this means to us as a church and his church today. The verse is Acts 1, verse 8. And that's just before Jesus ascends into heaven. He makes this promise to his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I don't want to immediately start talking about the Holy Spirit and his abilities, the amazing signs and wonders that follow, and trust me, they are amazing. I'm going to leave that to the capable hands of others within, the, within um, this church to discuss it in a later on in the series. But instead, I'd like to show you how the Spirit's power Through the Spirit's power, you and I, the church, Jesus' bride, has the ability and capacity to do so much more than we can ever imagine when we are obedient to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's just read that verse again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And will be, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Firstly, I'd like to propose to you that the fact that we are all sitting here is evidence of this promise actually being carried out today. When Jesus was saying these words, he was talking to his first church. And isn't it amazing that 2,000 years later, some 2,000 miles from where he spoke these promises, in a church in Croydon, we are now living out the promise. Amen? Amen. And this is why I find it so difficult when I'm on the streets and I'm speaking to people and they tell me that they don't want to believe or they don't believe because they haven't had the evidence. 
They can't believe some book that says that this is true. And yet, they can't see that the evidence actually is right here in front of them. That God exists and that Jesus is a real person. That he did die for our sins and he did rise from the dead. And now we are forgiven through that. And we will live eternally, forever. Amen? And I love it how Jesus describes us as his bride. It reminds me of my wedding day. All the butterflies and excitement in my life. Of declaring my love to the one person who I want to build the rest of my life with. For us to reveal our secrets, all our weaknesses, our desires, and to realize the dreams that God has given us. It's confirmation to me that Jesus wants to have a similar relationship with every member of his church. And not through his universal church, he wants to do it in our local churches. He wants to do it with Grace Vineyard. He wants to do it with you and me. Where he can organically develop and mold us. Where he can attend to our every need. Have you ever noticed that when you are threatened, we often draw back into the experiences and to the things that we know? You often see it in children who get frightened or shy. They go and hide behind one of their parents. You can see it happening right now. We're all self-isolating and and going back to our homes and to places where we're comfortable. This was similar to when Moses fled the courts of Pharaoh. After he killed the Egyptian... He, he fled out, outside, of, 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 uh, outside of Cairo, or was it Cairo? It was somewhere. Sorry, I beg your pardon. <laughs> he fled out, and he joined, he joined his father-in-law, and he became a shepherd. Um, and that was a tradition that the Israelite forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. As a leader in an organization, I'm always conscious of saying, don't do the same thing and expect a different result. We often see this happening, and although we try to, do it, to not do it, we find ourselves going down the same route so easily. The disciples were doing exactly the same thing. Peter, James, and John they all were going back to fishing. And I'm going to go out on a limb at them here and suggest that they were probably expecting to go back to their normal lives. They had had quite a radical three years of performing miracles and being nomads on the road, which ended in an anticlimax. Their Lord had not saved them from the Romans. He had not come on a white horse. And he had not made Israel great again. 
Instead, they witnessed him being horrifically tortured, hung on a cross, and died. They had left Jerusalem wanted men, and although they they met Jesus over the 40 days after ascension, they hadn't really received any instruction. So now they were beginning to return to their day job and what they knew and were comfortable with. But because they got their instruction, because Jesus intervened, they returned to the scene where their Lord was murdered. And just think of the risk they must have taken. It was a group, probably twice to three times the size of this, 120. They met in an upper room to wait on this promise. And look at that group now. As Christianity has spread all to all four corners of the earth, I'm humbled to know that it came from that single moment. And this is my first point. The Holy Spirit will lead us beyond our imagination. Imagine. Imagine the gospel preached to every community where all people and all areas come to know Jesus. And imagine the impact it would have as God calls men and women like you and me to take the good news to London, the UK, Europe, and the world. As I say this, it's important to acknowledge that since the 1970s, Christianity and the church culture has been decreasing in perceived importance. And there, is, there has been increasing persecution on the church. And this has been since the acceptance of alternative beliefs that have been driven by secular culture. And just to make it clear, there are easy examples to point to. And this is, includes things such as individuality and identity. And I do not think... I do not think, though, that this persecution is a bad thing, as it offers us a chance to increase our trust in Jesus. Just after the Holy Spirit fell on them, the local church began to do things that appear to be countercultural in those days, as it is today. And as it says in Acts 2.44-47, All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Imagine Imagine inviting a stranger into your home. Imagine giving them something to eat. Imagine offering them a place to sleep. Now imagine selling all your property, possessions, and giving it to those in need. 
I want to be honest, I find this very challenging. But this is what the first church did. Through the Holy Spirit's guiding, they felt able to take a risk and be vulnerable with one another. By sharing their food, homes, and lives with one another, the local church built up trust that would not be broken. They became strengthened in their messy experiences. And this was to such an extent, when Stephen was martyred, instead of the church shrinking, the church grew and spilt over to Samaria and the rest of the world. And when you read Acts 10, think of the strength and courage it must have taken Peter, an ordinary fisherman, now the leader of the local church, to attend the court's of Cornelius, the Roman centurion. The Holy Spirit fell on that house and all were baptized. It was very, very exciting. But now Peter had to go back to his friends, the disciples and the local church, that first church. And imagine the courage and trust they must have had to accept Peter's words to invite the Gentiles into this club. Remember that the local church back then didn't have the freedom to worship and preach the good news that we do now. They were being targeted as trouble causers and revealing themselves could result in death. But look at what their trust and courage won them. They moved across racial and social boundaries, giving them a position of power and authority. We see this across the Old Testament. And it shows the value of relationship and what the Spirit will do with his people. Just look at... What happened with Gideon when the Spirit of God entered him in the book of Judges? He defeated the armies of the Midianites. It was 155,000 strong with only 300 men. And this is my second point. The Holy Spirit has the power to turn the ordinary into the extraordinary. If God used Peter, he can use you and me. Perhaps you can start a prayer meeting in your workplace. Perhaps you can intentionally get to know your neighbours and build local community, particularly in this time of uncertainty and self-isolation. It blows my mind that God chooses to use broken people like you and like me, to share himself with others. And here's another promise that Jesus gives us. When we accept him as Savior and Lord of our lives, we are immediately able to live eternally. That's incredible. So the minute I accept Jesus into my life, I'm living eternally. 
And in John 14, verse 2, it says, My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22, confirms this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. And this is my third point, is the Holy Spirit will see people saved. So as a local church, let me ask you this question. What if you saw yourself as the only way God could speak to people in your community? In the book of Acts, the gospel is only ever preached through a human voice. Reflect on that fact. The people in Croydon, our town, your neighborhood, your street, it's going to be through your mouth that the gospel is preached. Paul reminds us that, when we, that we need to remember we were on the outside. We were a stranger and someone welcomed us in. Imagine what we could do as a church through invitation. And I'm sorry, Eddie, but I have to use this. Eddie mentioned this um, at our last leaders meeting. And it was just so simple, but so true. And and we could be living this out very easily. Um, If we brought one friend once a month, every, every month... And say 50% of those friends remained in the church. In six months' time, well, sorry, in the first month, we'll have 50 people. In six months' time, this whole hall would be filled. And in 12 months, we'd have to run three services. It's absolutely incredible, but very simple. And we need to believe the Holy Spirit can do this through us. We need to believe that. And again, I find it challenging because I ask myself, am I doing enough? Am I being invitational enough? Am I reaching out enough? And why is it important to ask these questions? And it comes back to our vision and values and our mission statement. So that across Croydon, we can see relationships restored, young people confident in their identity, loneliness eradicated, people freed from the chains of drug and alcohol addictions. And as a church, we can testify that. We've experienced some of this glory. Joe mentioned a little little under two years ago, 
we, we stopped and we decided that we would specifically pray into preventing knife crime and, we, and gang culture. And across the borough, a couple of months ago, uh, sorry, I beg your pardon, six weeks ago, I came across some statistics that Brian very helpfully gave me that for 2019, it's shown that Croydon's knife crime has reduced by 50%. And this also links to our vision statement to encounter God every day so that we are equipped to share his love, joy, peace, presence, power, and saving grace with the people we encounter on a daily basis. So to sum up, in the Holy Spirit's power, direction, and grace, this diverse group of people has the ability to do things beyond our imagination, to turn the ordinary into the extraordinary, and to see people saved. As we encounter God, encounter people. Amen.